0: So it's February and this week is Valentine's Day. And here's what I know about Valentine's Day. Among people, you either love Valentine's Day or you hate Valentine's. There's no in between. There's no like, I sort of dig Valentine's Day. You either are all in and baking inflatable hearts and cookies in your house, or you're like, I'm so not a part of this. I'm the guy that hates Valentine's Day. I mean, just be honest. I hate it. I think it's the stupidest holiday yet. And and maybe, all right, I'm just telling you, You're some of you are like, yes, I agree. Finally someone. Uh, uh, here's why I think I hate it. I hate Valentine's chocolate. That heart that you open up and you and you what you find if you like chocolate is you eat something in there that's some junk covered with chocolate and you need a map to figure out how to eat it and what's going on inside. I don't do maps to eat chocolate. Like I just want to eat chocolate. Maybe I hate Valentine's Day, because when I was a freshman in high school, I had this girlfriend and I bought her a really expensive $9.99 gold necklace and it turned her neck green. We broke up. Maybe I hate Valentine's Day because when some random person tells me that I should love someone on some random day in February, I'm like, nah, I don't listen to people. I don't told who to love and when to love it. So I'm starting a new anti-Valentine's campaign, and I think we should all just be jerks all week long this week (laughs) and just be mean to everyone, kind of like we do every week anyway, but we just slap Valentine's on top of it one day a year. Like, uh, I don't really like someone telling me to love people. I kind of wonder, though, if you're going to take following Jesus seriously. If you really believe in Jesus and you trust that he is the son of God, what we're learning in our study of the book of John is you don't get to pick and choose what you believe and what you follow. And what God commands us to do as followers of Jesus is what we must do to represent him. And what's so interesting is in John chapter 13, Jesus commands us to love. And the love that he commands us to do is so much more radical, so much more all-encompassing, so much greater, grander than anything Valentine's Day could be. It's not a romantic love, what he commands. It's not a brotherly sister love. It's a supernatural love that can't be done unless We believe and trust in him. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to jump in this with me. It's the difficult passage, I think. John 13, we're jumping forward a little bit. John 13, verse 34 and 35. And there's something in this love that's so supernatural, so unique, so different, that only with God's help can we do it. But if we love, like Jesus commands in this passage, it's the kind of love that changes the world. John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one one another. At first glance, we may have heard this many times, at first glance he says this new command I give you, love one another. What's new about this command? I mean is it really a new command? If you listen to the Bible, if you read the Bible, you know from beginning to the end of the Bible it says that God is love. And the greatest commandment in the scriptures is that we're to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind and love our neighbor as ourselves. There's nothing new about that. That's from beginning and end of the Bible, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's the basics of Christianity. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind, and if you've received his love, then you give it to other people. You love other people as you love yourselves. So for Jesus to say a new command I give you, love one another, what's new, Jesus? Maybe it's this. It's what he says next, as I, have loved you, so you must love one another. He's drawing the attention to his example of love, his demonstration of love. As I have demonstrated love to you, now you love one another. And I want to zoom out for a minute, just look back a little bit at what happens right before Jesus says these dynamic words about love. What's happening in the context as we zoom out when he says this is the new commandment? So Jesus has been doing ministry for the past three and a half years. Actually, where this happens in John chapter 13 is towards the end of his life, and so he spent three and a half years with his disciples. These guys have spent three and a half years, day and night, hanging out with Jesus, front row seat to miracles, water to wine, walking on water, healing people, feeding people. They've had a front row seat to that. They've watched as crowds of people have come to follow Jesus and then as crowds of people go and ditch Jesus, they've heard Jesus teach really hard things, they've heard Jesus say really hopeful, inspiring things. And on this night where Jesus commands them to love, in John chapter 13, they have all of this body of information behind them when he makes this statement. They've gathered together for a party. They've gathered together to celebrate God's love. They've gathered together for the Passover feast where God and his love supernaturally came and rescued them from slavery. And his power delivered them, rescued them. And they get together for this event. But before they eat together, and Jesus says anything about love, he gets down on his hands and knees and washes his 12 disciples' feet. I don't like feet, do you? I mean, I don't like my own feet. I certainly don't like your feet. And so, for Jesus in a dusty world to start the party off by washing nasty feet, it's so intimate, it's so close, it's so humbling for the rabbi, the teacher, the son of man to roll up his sleeves and wash feet. And then they move to the table and they begin to eat. He's surrounded by his closest friends, so it's Jesus and 12 men and they're eating together and Jesus says to them, his inner circle, he goes, you know, guys, one of you is gonna betray me. One of you is gonna sell me out. And in that moment, in this close-knit circle, Judas gets up and walks out. And in that moment, Jesus says, it's now my time to go my time for things to be over, and where I'm going, you can't follow me, and it's in that context that he says, now guys, listen up, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He washes their feet, he speaks calmly and says, Judas, what you're gonna do, do it. Get on with it. He says, I'm leaving, I'm heading to the cross. Where I go, you can't come. And he in this context says to them, love one another as I have loved you, as I've demonstrated to you, love. And this is how the world will know you're my disciples. When you look at the context of what happens right after Jesus says these words, so we look at what he said, what he did before. He made this command. Now look at what he does after. He's on the cusp of 24 hours of horror. He's on the cusp of being betrayed by his friends. He's going to head out and be falsely accused, arrested, deserted by his friends. Within hours, he's going to be spit on. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be nailed. He's going to die a gruesome death where he'll breathe his last. He's hours away from being crucified and he says his last words to them. Love, love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, profound command. These last things he says to them. He doesn't say they'll know you by what you teach. He doesn't say they'll know you by how you talk. He says they'll know you by how you love. And if you love like me, they'll know. The world will see you're connected to this divine love. But let's zoom out even further beyond John 13 and the following verses, but to all the way back to the beginning of John, the Gospel of John chapter 3, verse 16, the most famous words in the Bible, right? For God so loved the world. And that word love is the Greek word agape. It's the same word that's used in John 13, 34, when Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another agape. In the beginning, it says, for God so agape, he so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So God so loved that he gave, it's this sacrificial love that God has done towards us that Jesus has demonstrated to us that he then says, now you go and do the same thing. He loved us so much that he sacrificed, he gave his son to redeem a broken world. And I wonder if you've ever asked the question, what sacrifice did God make? For God to love this way, what was his cost? I mean, think of it. His one and only son, they've spent eternity together. And now he stands by and sends his son on this rescue mission. He watches. He watches as his son is born. He watches as his son learns to eat with a spoon. He watches as his son starts to grow. He watches as his son starts to learn to use a hammer and Jesus smacks his thumb. The one who made everything with a word hits his thumb with a hammer and his father's watching. He watches as his son, his perfect son, has to obey imperfect Mary and Joseph. Imagine that. The perfect son of God who reports to the perfect father, now his father's watching as his son has to obey, desires to obey, chooses to obey imperfect Mary and Joseph. What kind of sacrifice he watches as his son Jesus goes through adolescence and puberty. I mean, what is that about, right? I mean, that's wacky. Who likes adolescence? It's a hard time. And Jesus went through adolescence? He watches as his son begins ministry. He watches as his son is misunderstood. He watches as his son is betrayed, falsely accused, flogged, crucified, in a grave. He pours his wrath out on his son for the sins of the entire human race. He puts it on his son's shoulders. What kind of sacrifice for the God of the universe to love us this much that he would send his son to die so that we could live. And clearly Jesus has endured great sacrifice to leave the comfort, position, perfection, the peace of heaven, to be born, to grow, to learn, to love, to be misunderstood, to be betrayed, to be crucified, to absorb the sins of the world upon his shoulders, to take the rap, to pay the debt that he didn't deserve to pay incredible sacrifice beyond any human ability. Have you ever thought, you have ever wondered, how was Jesus able to do it? What was, what was motivating, what helped Jesus, what empowered Jesus to do this? You go, well, he's God, but in the Bible it says he set aside his divinity and he came to earth as a man. How did he love like this? How did he endure like this? How did he give like this? He did it by being in connection and intimacy with God the Father, but he did it, the Bible says, by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was able to supernaturally love and endure and continue to love no matter what the cost because he walked with the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus ascended and went back to God the Father, he gave. His Spirit to live inside us. So the sacrificial love that Jesus commands, the sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrated to His disciples and commands His disciples to do is only possible with the same Holy Spirit that lived inside Jesus can, by faith, live inside us so that we, too, can love like Jesus loved with the help of the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, and my command is this, when you have the Holy Spirit, you must love like I loved. Because in that, people will see, I wasn't just a good moral teacher, I wasn't a nice guy, I wasn't just a carpenter from Nazareth, I am the God of the universe, and as I live inside you, and you love like I love, then people will go, there is a God. There is a God who cares. There is a God who will redeem. So you think about this. Jesus says, this is a new command I'm giving you. Love one another. Love like I loved. Love by the same spirit that I was able to love, this spirit that can live inside you. This is all what's new about Jesus' command, but there's one further thing that's new about Jesus' command to love. It's the way he looked at people. He didn't look at people the way we look at people. Jesus loved with an unbelievably sacrificial love. He did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus saw humans created in the image of God, broken by sin and longing for rescue, he loved them. The eyeballs that Jesus saw everything through was this. He saw people with souls that will never die. He saw they were created, we are created in the image of God. He saw that the brokenness was because of sin, sin that they had done, individuals we had done, or had been done to us. Sin broke all of us. And he sees in us our intrinsic desire to be rescued. And this is what he saw when he saw people, image bearers, souls broken, longing. So when he did miracles in the Bible, he turned water into wine. What did he see in that moment? He saw a family. He saw a family created in the image of God, broken by sin, longing to be rescued, and he loved them enough to do something. When Jesus healed people who couldn't walk, or couldn't see, or had terminal diseases, he saw a person created in the image of God, broken by sin longing to be rescued, and he loved them. When Jesus spoke difficult truths to religious elite people, to people that were wealthy, to people that were snobs, when he spoke hard truth, why did he do that? It's because he saw people as created in the image of God, broken by sin, longing to be rescued, and he loved them enough to speak the truth. When he spoke with the Samaritan woman at the well, he saw a person created in the image of God, broken by sin, longing to be rescued, and he loved her. You see, Jesus didn't see people as drunks or prostitutes. He didn't see religions or ethnicities. He didn't see education or politics. He didn't see rich or poor. He saw people created in the image of God, broken by sin, longing to be rescued, and he loved us. He loved us. And with the help of God's Spirit, we can love people too. See, if I put my trust and faith in Jesus and I receive his love and his love starts to live inside me, now I'm called to love like he loves but I will never love like Jesus loved if I don't begin to see like Jesus sees. If I don't say, God, I don't see people the way you see people. See, what I do is with sin, I label people created in the image of God. It's my sin that causes me to wear these glasses that instead of seeing people as created in the image of God with souls that will never die, that are broken by sin, and longing to be rescued, I wear these glasses that just see labels everywhere. It's my sin that causes me to see these labels. So when I see someone with a physical limitation, I see a handicap and I label it. That's a wheelchair, that's crutches, that's a deformity, that's... I see someone with mental challenges, I label, label, label. I zoom in on people on how different they are from me. I don't look at all the similarities we share, all the ways that we're alike which are countless. I just put a label on you and you put a label on me. I zoom in on these slight external differences. I see behaviors that person sleeps around. That person's an addict, that person's a drunk, that person's a druggie, that person's a gambler, that person is a liar, that's a convict, that's a label, that's a label, that's a label, that's a label. That's a musician, that's a biker, that's a tattooed person, that's a homeschooler, label, 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 label. Everywhere. I see gender. Label this. This is male, this is female, this is struggling to figure it out. I see label. I see a person's sexuality and I just label it, label it, label it, label it. I see a person's race, color this, color that, color this, color that. I see their ethnicity from here, from here, from here, from here. Label, 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 everywhere label. I see your economics, your blue collar, your white collar, you're educated, you're rich, you're poor, you're not, you're this, you're that. I see politics, Democrat, Republican, Independent. Fed up. I just put a label, and I get to a point where I just have labels everywhere, and I don't see anyone. I don't see anyone. The biggest, most important label that drives me is I look around, and I look for people that are like me, and I look at you, and I label you like me, and I look at you, and I go, not like me. And everybody that's not like me, do you think I'm going to love them? No, I love the people I label like me. You look like me, you smell like me, you think like me, you talk like me, you act like me, you are like me, so I love you, but over here, you ain't like me, so I got no love for you. And that is not what Jesus died for. That's not what he died for. Can you imagine if Jesus loved me that way? What would he label me? He labeled me white boy from suburbia, and I'm not like you, Joe, so I'm not coming to planet Earth to hell with you. If he labeled, I'm not like Jesus, perfect, from the Middle East, different generation, not like me, so he ain't coming for me, he ain't dying for me. Can you imagine if he labeled us What would happen if we stopped this labeling, if we actually loved people enough not to label them? What would happen in the valley? What would happen in the United States? What would happen in the world if we actually listened to this command, love like I have loved you so much so that the world would know you're my son, my disciple? And it would start with, if I'm gonna love like this, it would start with confession. Oh God, forgive me for my racism, forgive me for my sexism, forgive me for labeling all kinds of people in all kinds of ways and prejudging them based on that label. Forgive me, God. I am not like you. Help me, God, to become like you. Imagine if we didn't prejudge our neighbors Prejudge the people of the mall, prejudge different races and economics and orientations and ethnicities. If we stop the prejudging and we just love like Jesus loved, maybe things would change around here. And I know what some of you are thinking. I read your minds. You forgot about this, don't you? I read with your minds. I know what some of you are thinking. Honestly, some of you are going, Here he goes. Joe's getting all liberal all lovey-dovey, all squishy-squashy in the church, because somehow we bought into this lie that you have to sacrifice the truth in order to love. We bought into the lie that churches have to either stand hard on truth and forget love, or stick with love and forget truth. But that's not Jesus' way at all. That's not how he lived. He stood firmly on the truth of who God is and God's purposes in this world and God's design for this world and at the same time loved radically. It is not either or, it's both and. I can love and stand on the truth and love people that are different than me and show them the kind of respect that might just change their world. I just want to show you this in one little example. You know, human sexuality in our culture right now is an incredible topic, and there's so much conversation and confusion on it. It's been something on my heart, a burden on my heart to teach about human sexuality. So coming up on February 22nd, it's a Friday night a couple weeks from now, I'm going to do a lecture on Jesus and human sexuality we're gonna spend the time to go through the Bible and look at what the Bible says about sexuality and then look at how the Bible instructs us to love and to lead those who have a different perspective than we have and so there's child care, there'll be a Q&A, some dessert but we're gonna go into the deep end of the pool because most of us don't even know what to think about these things okay God what is the truth and how can we love all at the same time. So I'd love for you to sign up for that and join me on Friday the 22nd of February just a couple weeks from now because I believe with the Spirit's help we can sacrifice to love like Jesus. I believe we can do it. I think we can confess our prejudice before God. I think we can ask God to give us eyes to see like we've never seen before. I think with the Spirit's help we can change the course of of people's lives as we love them I think it's possible here's where I'll end the Bible uses the word agape love in John three sixteen. for God so agape the world love the world it's the same word used in John thirteen thirty four. a new command I give you agape love one another which is also the same word used in 1 Corinthians 13 I put this in your app if you want to follow along but first Corinthians 13 when do we usually hear first Corinthians 13 At weddings, FYI, 1 Corinthians 13 has nothing to do with weddings. It has to do with people, believers in Jesus Christ, understanding love and practicing love in this world. 1 Corinthians 13 defines the love Jesus commands in John 13. Remember, we're not at a wedding. You got this? No wedding here. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. And What's so helpful to me is to realize that Jesus, when he walked on earth, he personified this love. So Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus isn't proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects. Jesus always trusts. Jesus always hopes. Jesus always perseveres. Jesus never fails. That's the love I've experienced from Christ. That's the love I'm commanded to walk out with God's help. So as you leave today... We're going to give you some little candy hearts. They don't have sappy, stupid comments on them like every other Valentine you're going to get. It actually has the words of 1 Corinthians 13 stamped on each little candy to remind you this week that you can love like Jesus. With God's help, you can love like Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, forgive me for my impatience and my unkindness towards others. Make me patient and kind. Help me to love others so much that I don't envy, I don't boast, I don't carry myself with pride. Because of your love towards me, help me not to dishonor others. Help me not to promote myself and my opinions. Help me not to get angry with those who are different than me. Because you've forgiven me, help me to forgive others and keep no record of wrongs. God, free me from delighting in evil, but help me rejoice in all that is true. Make me more like Jesus so that I love in a way that always protects, always hopes the best in others, and always perseveres for others. Make me a loving person because of how loving you have been to me that people might see you're alive by how I love. I ask this in the powerful name of Christ.